Thoth Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Hello, friends and listeners. Welcome to a new episode of the Thoth Hermes podcast. And the episode you're going to hear is episode number four of the season eight. <laughs> I had to think a moment. Season eight, quite amazing. Right, and I welcome you to this show. My name is Rudolf. I am your host and the creator of the Thoth Hermes podcast. And I'm talking to you from the outskirts of the lovely city of Vienna. And before you now fast forward to the interview, because I know some of you do that and that's okay. Um, just to let you know, um, April 20th is a date you should mark red in your calendar. Um, this will be the fifth anniversary of the launch of the very first episode of this podcast. And I have a few a few little surprises well not so little actually those surprises for you then so please mark that 20th of april red in your calendar and stay tuned look onto the facebook page on twitter or also probably on the website listen to the episode intros next couple of weeks or so i will announce those things that will happen mid-april um, to celebrate that fifth anniversary Right, um, our guest here today on this show is Luke Lafitte. Luke, who has recently published a book named Machine Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm. Now, this is a very interesting topic. I'll tell you more a bit about that in a few minutes. I would like to welcome everyone here who is here for the very first time, because maybe you want to discover Luke, you have heard from him and have never heard about the Thought Hermes podcast. Well, great to have you and do return. And uh, if you got curious, you should look up the website and find out all about the other episodes. We have about mm, soon 115 episodes online that you can listen to. So take your time. And uh, they are all to be found on the website, of course, also in most of the podcast services uh, that are available on the internet. But on the website, you'll find the show notes as well. And that website is thoughthermes.com, T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. Thanks to all of you who are patrons of this show, patrons who support this show are necessary. We need you. We need more of you. I keep saying that. I know it's tedious. It's tedious for me as well. I'd love to say, well, we have enough of them. Um, thank you. Um, no, we need more. We need more. Um, and I will also, for the fifth anniversary, do some special run for that. I warn you. So better get on now. Become a patron. Come on. Patreon.com and look for Thought Harmonies podcast. Or, as I said, on the website, you can find a direct link to that page where you can become, uh, starting at $1 per episode, you can become a patron and every dollar helps, uh, I tell you, because it's costly to produce a website. You like a good audio quality, you like 
interesting topics. And uh, well, yes, I'm not earning money with that, I promise. Okay, good. So um, that was that. And well, while you're on the website or while you are looking up on Facebook, what's going to happen on April 20, please do leave me a comment, me what you think about the podcast. Tell me your ideas, your criticism, your thoughts. Hmm. Talking about criticism, there was one user who wrote, um, said, you're chatting too much. I quit your podcast. You're chatting too much. Come on. Yes, I have to do that intro. I want to do that intro. Some people like it. Some people don't. That's fine. But just jump over it. You can just use the chapter markers. Okay. And what you miss is also the music. Sorry about that. But the music has also its markers. So Look it up. If you have a good podcast player, then you will find the chapters and you can always go directly to the interview if you prefer that. And to all the others, thank you for listening to my chatter. Great. So, and also thank you to for you for listening to the music that we play here because the artists really are grateful for that. And speaking about artists, once again, if you have music, if you are a musical artist, who has written his own music, who has performed his own music, and you want it to be played on this show, I'd be happy to do that. Do send me an email, info at thoughtservice.com, uh, or also via the webpage with the contact form there, and we'll get in touch and we'll talk about it, and um, I'm sure we can bring music within a couple of weeks onto this show. Today there is someone that I have initially discovered, and who has then contacted me after he listened to this show. And we have played his music on several episodes. It was even the case that I wanted to interview him at some point. And then I took that eight months break. And somehow after the eight month, he, Frater F, has kind of vanished. If you're listening to this, Frater F, do contact me. I've written to you two or three times since since that moment, since that break, but uh, didn't get any reply. Too bad. Uh, I'd love to have you talk on this show for a moment. So um, please, Frater F, if you hear that, do contact me and we'll get in touch again. But for today, we have his music back. We have actually five of his pieces, but um, that's because in the break we have, we'll play three short pieces in a row. But now we have a longer piece. Now we have a piece from his CD, uh, which was in, published in 2019. And 2019 was also the year where I first played his music. I think it was on four episodes so far that I played it. And this um, first piece that we are going to hear now today is called The Dragon Invocation. And, well, I told you Frater F is Swedish, Dragon Invocation. Maybe that rings a bell. Yes, Thomas Carlson, I think those two... Um, Frater F. and Thomas are rather good friends, and Thomas has even appeared on one of his on one of his tracks, and uh, so it comes from that corner of the world. And so the Dragon Invocation by Frater F. is going to open this show, and I can only tell you just enjoy. <laughs>
Dragon Invocation by our friend Frater F. And uh, thank you again for this lovely music, Frater F. And if you hear that, as I said, please get in touch back with me again. Machine Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm. That's the title of the book that our guest here today, Luke Lefitt, has written recently. It was published a few months ago by Inner Traditions and, um, well, uh, this year actually, in early this year, 2022. And it's a fascinating book. It's hard to really frame it within three or four sentences. It is about uh, the, the relationship between machines and the spirit, the mind, what is constructing what, and it's clear from what Luke says, that it's our mind that constructs machines. And, well, I let him talk to you about that. What I normally do, and I will do it here today as well, is read you a little excerpt from that book. But this time, it's not text by Luke himself. I'm going to cite the beginning of the foreword, which has been written by Jeffrey Kripal. And um, because I think it's a very good entry into that interview, and I hope every one of you will listen to that. Jeffrey J. Kripal um, starts with two citations, one by Richard Feynman and another one by Luke Lafitte, and then makes a comment on about the book and its topic himself. So let me read that to you, and I think um, you will very, very quickly grasp what this is all about. Here we go. This mega-merger of super-sciences may transform who and what we are. It could transplant our senses into other entities and then converge those entities into something else. It may alter millions of years of evolution that imbue us with wonderful and terrible traits. Richard Feynman The theme of co-evolution between technology and humanity was advancing now at a rapid pace. Feynman knew that our world and reality are merely mental constructions from the same book of spells. Luke Lefitte. And then Jeffrey J. Kripal says, Who writes like that? Well, Richard Feynman did, and Luke Lefitte does. The following pages are spellings, in both the linguistic and the entrancing sense of that double entendre. A vast arrangement of letters on the page to create words and sentences and so meaning, but also to conjure new future realities. Caveat lector, reader beware. You're about to be spelt, hexed, but you're about to be spelt to get you out of a spell, hexed to get you out of a hex. The sharp division that we pretend between the fictive and the real between the present and the future, between the possible and the impossible, and most of all between mind and machine, wobble and waver in these pages before they finally threaten to disappear altogether. At the very end of the book, one gets this haunting, uncomfortable and yet somehow ecstatic sense that things are not at all what they seem to be, and that we as individuals, yes, but especially as community and culture, have this astonishing power to change it all, alter some of its most intimate workings. But how? Through technology. 
It's not what you think. Lafitte is not arguing that you need another smartphone or shiny gadget. Nor is he arguing that future silicone chips implanted into our bodies will transform our collective into some kind of post-human Borg. He is calling us instead to understand, to really understand, that each and every piece of human technology, from the prehistoric sharpened rock and hand-painted cave wall, through the ancient writing styles and leaf palm, to the most recent promise of artificial intelligence, the nanotechnology of the contemporary university lab, and the most powerful mathematical formula, can become so many indirect pathways to a near or far future enlightenment. That enlightenment comes down to this. It is mind that has produced the machine, not the other way around. Right, I hope that gives you an idea what to expect now and let's now go to Texas and join our friend and guest here today, Luke Lafitte. Here comes the interview. It is an enormous pleasure here for me on the Thoughts Hermit podcast to welcome Luke Lafitte on the show here today. Luke, hello. Greetings to Texas. Hello. How are you today? Hello from the Big D, Dallas, uh, America. We are uh, grateful. I'm grateful to be here with the brilliant Rudolph. Oh, thank you so much. You know, I was now this is a first that I give it away on the show. I was almost born in Houston 61 years ago because my father almost emigrated and half a year before he decided not to. So we are not co-Texans in the end. <laughs> well, we could have had that divine synchronicity, right? But we, uh, we probably have many more that we'll get into. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, look, the immediate reason why we are meeting here today on the show is a book that has been released very recently by Inner Traditions, which is called Machine Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm. And the subtitle is Spiritual Freedom and the Reanimation of Matter. And I must say, I was at first intrigued by the title, then intrigued by what I read. And also uh, when I prepared for the show, I read uh, parts of, of the, th well, one of the three previous books that you wrote, uh, which were kind of a series. And so, and I read a bit about that. And um, then I discovered that you were also not only an attorney that you are professionally, but uh, you are also an actor in a theater company that you have co-founded in Dallas. And actually that made me understand a lot of the book that might be strange to people out there, but uh, most of them know I'm from the performing arts world. And I would like to start with four lines I found on the website of the theater company, which are from the Dallas Observer about your last production, if that's okay, Luke, I, I would like to start with that because I think oh, it's good, a good entrance door in what we are going to discover with you today. Flesh World, Flesh World, that's the name of the piece that you just performed and it talks about that. Flesh World keeps it real, real meta. The obscure story drops viewers into a disorienting world and demands they work to uncover their own conclusions and to form interpretations based on a few narrative clues. 
I've yet to figure out portions. The delineations between the spiritual realm and the protagonist's own psyche and the fact that it's still on my mind speaks to the impression it imparts. So much said by the Dallas Observer and it reminds me, especially at the end, heavily of my impression I have of your book, right? So um, do you agree with my, well, not conclusion, but with my hint that those two worlds of you cannot be entirely separate? Oh, they're not. I mean, they're, they're, they're complementary in so many ways. Um, you have the, when we started Dead White Zombies, we really wanted to take a, a Bacchus approach in, in a way that allowed people to, to enter into a, uh, a, a new dimension of, of consciousness in the material world and, uh, and create it in such a way that it, it's immersive theater. So, yes. and, and by immersive theater, I don't mean that, that you become one of the actors in it. Um, I mean that you're, you're moving and your mind is moving with you and these thoughts and ideas and, and metaphors and symbols are coming at you and, and you have to arrange them or organize in whatever way your paradigm sees fit. And, and that's the mark of really every, every production. We're up to, I think, 10 productions now. Mm. And um, every production is different, of course, but it, it, it's a, a merging of, of materialism and idealism and showing the flaws in materialism and maybe showing the flaws in idealism as well. Um, but we, we really want to, uh, to, to awaken people to other dimensions that are out there that they are not aware of, that they may not be aware of. And what do men, what dimensions am I, I talking about? Well, that, that's the hint that you give of my chronicles of a curious mind and exactly. machine intelligence and the imaginal realm. So therefore that's, that's the connection. <clears throat> But Flesh World, I was both a, a co-writer with Thomas Riccio, an anthropology professor at the University of Texas in Dallas that founded the company with me. And he's the main writer of, of most of the plays, and I've acted in a few. But the ability to, to both be able to contribute to these productions and act in them, right? And, and that's the real point I want to make. It's really the experience that becomes the important aspect of life. It really is. I mean, it, just like when you're reading machine intelligence in the imaginal realm, I want you to experience the feeling that it right. provokes. And I even tell you, you know, if you're not getting a peak experience right now, if you're not feeling what Nietzsche would call, you know, the, those feelings of, of, you know, the zap down your spine and the hairs tingling, then you're not alive. You're nothing more than a mechanical man. Exactly. And yeah, yeah. And that's, I think exactly what the guy from the Dallas Observer wanted to say by I've yet to figure out portions. Well, if he hadn't, and that's what I say about myself reading your machine intelligence, uh, if I hadn't, probably you wouldn't be happy uh, with the result that the book gave to me, right? Right. And you all, 
you always want to leave a bit of mystery behind. Mm. Um, you don't want to come off with, with the hubris of telling telling people or, or showing them this is how you should think. Or, or here's the route that I think you should go down. Here's the rabbit hole I want to take you down. No, 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 no. I'm going to give you, we are going to give you in Dead White Zombies, 50 an infinite amount of rabbit holes that you can go down and you get to choose which one you want to take. Right. And that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of immersive theater. When we come into, uh, well, we come into areas uh, of Dallas that are, are, are very worn down and lacking in economic stability. And we build these huge, I mean, basically, I want to compare it to movie sets. <clears throat> we, uh, we renovate buildings and the, the plays take anywhere from one to two hours to get through. Hmm. So you are on a journey and you are on a quest and in every play you're on a quest and you hopefully find what you're looking for in the end. And I, I hope you find something about yourself in the end that can contribute to not only your individuation, your Jungian individuation of the self, but also the individuation of the collective. Because at the very end of every play, if you get on the web, the website, you can see that at the end of every play, everyone comes together. Yes. And it's a very communal aspect at the very end of everyone sharing their their different individual consciousness and experience of the play itself. And that leads to a hopefully a, a collective healing of that community or that area that we've entered into in in Dallas and Fort Worth. And uh, of course, I have never seen, unfortunately, one of those plays. I'm too far away. But um, from what I get from the website, and there's one line that struck me also in what you just uh, said. Uh, you called the, the, the company uh, Malcontent Theater. And I don't go any further, but Malcontent is, of course, for theater people, are almost an archetype from early modern drama. The, the character that often appears there, which who is discontented with the actual world, especially with social structures and with, uh, well, probably Hamlet not being early modern theater, but Hamlet is the archetype of the malcontent in theater. And but it has developed much further in twentieth century theater. And is that part? important for you also for your spiritual approach that you um that maybe not you yourself but what you perform what you show what you write about uh, starts from the malcontent as an archetype oh no doubt about it we we are we're trying to heal that banal part of the self that has overtaken many people in the age of materialism um, it, it is a, it's a healing attempt. It really is to, to allow you to find whatever void of, of spirituality you're missing in your life, mm. whatever that may be. Everyone has a, a void, uh, especially over here in the West. And uh, like we alluded to before, my, my book is very much subjectively American consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. It, it very much follows the, the techno genesis of American consciousness from 
the inventors, uh, Tesla and, and Edison, all the way up to Elon Musk. Yes. So, so while I'm looking at that, I'm, uh, I'm also thinking of, well, how interacting in the material practical world, how do you also allow yourself freedom in the spiritual world at the same time? And we hope that we give people that outlet coming to our theater production. So, so being malcontent is malcontent about the mechanization of, of the country, the mechanization of the world, the banality of the world, the boredom of the world, the, uh, the, the, the non-purpose of, of, of the world, or the purpose that now is becoming absurd. I mean, if there's any purpose at all, then, then that, that purpose for many people, they can't explain it or it's just absurd. Yeah. Before, and, I, and, 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 and that may be okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, if, sure. Yeah. If you, have, if you have purpose of, of the absurdity, like, like Sartre said, you know, you may have nausea all the time, but that may work for you. Exactly. But it's probably a minority who that works for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It hasn't worked for many people. Yeah. Um, before we delve deeper into the book, I... I need to know a bit, or I want to know our audience know a bit more about Luke Lafitte, the person. Um, as I said, you're an attorney and being an attorney and being an actor and the writer of the type of books that you write is, I wouldn't, I would say unique. I, 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 at least I don't know of any other case of somebody and you are not just, you are a very successful attorney. It's not that you are, well, maybe not, not happy there. And that's why you start being an actor. It's all, it's all the contrary. So a, how did that come? How did your life bring that together? And B, how do you lift that? I imagine it's not always easy in the world of uh, law to have people, and you don't hide it at all, to have people know that you write books, books of that type, that you act in experimental theater. How, how did it come and how does it work for you? How, do, how are you perceived also? Right. How, how it came, I mean, it's very simple how it came. When I, uh, when I started law school here in America, I found it to be very much robotic. Uh, I, I found their teachings to be uh, devoid of emotion, devoid of any empathy, devoid of compassion. Uh, everything is black and white. And I've, I've never seen the law that way. Mm. I, I, never. And, and so I, I started going to uh, grad school to get a, get a PhD in philosophy to kind of counter what was happening in law school. Okay. Right? Because I knew that something was happening to my mind. I knew that that law, the, studying the law was uh, doing something to my, my mental capacity to understand uh, concepts that were were beyond the material realm. And I, I wanted to understand the, these dualities and concepts and really delve into them. And I felt that the, the legal curriculum was preventing me from doing that. Mm. And so I go to grad school and I, you know, I, I study philosophy and mythology and I, I later on get, get a PhD. 
Um, while I'm doing trials, mind you, I get the PhD. So I'm, I've always been trying to counterbalance materialism and idealism. Mm-hmm. I've always been trying to, to, as Teddy Roosevelt said, an American president, keep my, my feet on the ground, but my eyes to the stars. Yes. And I, I, I think I've done, or I know, I mean, I'm, I'm confident. I, I've tried more jury trials in, in this country than anyone in this century. Anyone. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I'm probably over. I, I kept keeping track. And I know, I know people say, oh, you must keep track. No, you don't. Not when you get into the 900s and you get over a thousand jury trials. And they're, they're short. They take two or three. They're injury trials. So, you know, a person could have a, a protrusion in the back or have a brain injury. But that injury is very important to them. And it's okay. very important to me. And when I have two or three days to talk to a jury, my main concern is to get them to recognize what time means. Hmm. That they're there for three days, but their decision will last that human being for a lifetime. Lifetime, yeah. And so I, I really, in, in, in Dallas in 2005, when I began trying, uh, litigating, uh, the, the juries were awarding no money for pain and suffering, no money for mental language, because they couldn't see it, right? I mean, if, if it was a, a case where someone had lost a leg or, or something like as bad as that, they, they could, that was visual to them. But I, I found that the juries were, were very much a you have to see it to believe it mindset. And uh, I, I thought it over and I, I meditated on it and I'm like, how am I going to get around it? And so I began to talk to the juries about quality of life and the concept of time. And when I began to talk to them about quality of life and the concept of time, they began to get it that human beings do have value for their injuries. And they started awarding huge amounts to me. Huge. So I had cracked the code. So would you say that you created matter through mind by the way you proceeded in your trials? Oh, there, there's no doubt about it that that I had I had mani manifested um, manifested huge amounts of verdicts for 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 injuries that that people back then or even today would say are minor or very small. Mm -hmm. But w when I was able to to talk to the jury about how it had taken their time away and how you can't get time back. And, and how would you rather have, here's what I always say to a jury, would you rather have a new back and neck or a jury put a bunch of money in your pocket? Well, what do you think they always say? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, of course, they want, the, they want the bone back, of course. Yeah. They, yeah. they, want, they want their back and they yeah. want their neck back and no amount of money can put them back into that that position. And that may, that turned a light bulb off. I could see it in their eyes and in every jury member thinking, Oh my God. Oh, wow. Uh, you, we've basically been told by corporate America that these injuries are, 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 should not be given, you know, we shouldn't give any money to these injuries at all 
because they're all fraudulent and fake. Well, they're not. They're not. I mean, that, that's corporate America telling you that they are because the insurance companies don't want to pay out. Yeah, sure. Which I believe brings us right into your book, Machine Intelligence. You were mentioning corporate America. And as you said in a bit earlier, the, the, the book has very much an American approach with the American experience, but what you just said and uh, what what you also explain in the book, but with American history and American examples, is global, is 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 universal. I would even say, because it uh, well, the value of the back and of the of the neck of the person is the same in China, uh, Europe, and 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 America, right? So so what you created there is absolutely uh, global and i think um what i would like to say is that even if we're going to speak a lot about american examples um uh, people who are listening should take your book machine intelligence still as a global book uh, which just just uses american examples to explain what it means would you agree on that i, I would agree with that and i'll tell you why um, because anyone can come over and become an American. Uh, it's not, you know, we're a very young nation of immigrants and anyone can come over. And that's one of the, the points of my book is that this diversity that we have is propelling manifesting technologies. Mm -hmm. This diversity that we, we've always had It has always, from the very beginning, when when Nikola Tesla comes over here from from Croatia, Croatia. Or, and you've got yes, and you've got you know <clears throat> Elon Musk, of course, and and that entire trajectory, uh, all of these people bring something different to the table, and then when they bring that to the table of this pragmatic philosophy that we have over here in America, this practical philosophy, and then they bring their theosophy over here or their ideas that are, are, are more in the idealistic realm than the materialistic realm. That combination is huge. That combination can create anything. I think it is time that we explain a bit uh, to to those who have not yet heard about your book or not the have let alone read it um, what we are speaking about here. Um, we should maybe first take those two terms, spiritual man and mechanical man, that go throughout your book and. Um, I might give it a very short intro and you correct me and especially you deepen what I'm saying. Okay. Um, is in a way the history of the machine is a tool, but that becomes uh, an object, transpersonal object, which assists the human being in, in, in the second part. And then it becomes almost an artifact that acts between the spirit and the human being that interacts with them. Um, would, would you agree on my, my, um, interpretation of, well, interpretation is a big word. It's just rather an intro and that's those two spiritual men and mechanical men. Those two definitions are at the core of what your book wants to say. They are, they are at the core. There, there's, 
there's a, a birth from uh, there's a physical birth um, when when you're born of woman. And then there's a a what I found and what the machines were telling me and what the mechanical man was it d- tells me is that there there's a much more profound birth that can be found in life, a so, spiritual birth. So um, maybe we should start a uh, look with the mechanical man because that term is a term that throughout the book kept. Um, asking me questions, right? Like the theater plays, like the guy from the Dallas Observer said about the play. Uh, I always said, hmm, is this a term that I just don't know? And it's an American term I don't know. No, it is not. You explained that to me. Um, so what is for you the mechanical man? Why did you invent that term? What does it mean to you? And why did you bring it up? Okay, very good. Very good. The mechanical man on, on a, a very, very shallow and, and surface level encompasses every type of artificial intelligence thinking machine or machine in general. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Android, robot, uh, cyborg, Anything pertaining to technology com- combining with uh, with humanity or uh, technology overcoming humanity and taking over humanity, mm-hmm. if you want to go in that direction. I don't go in that direction. I go in the other direction. Right. Okay. Now, underneath that, mechanical man is the human being and the human being only depending on reason and rationality and and you know have to, just like i talked about in my trials you have to see it to believe it right mm-hmm. well you you don't have to see it to believe it i mean you have to if you have the experience and you have the feeling then that feeling is important to you and the feeling most of the time the feeling is more important than the visualization of it mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there, the mechanical man is a, a new dimension. The, the me- mechanical man is a new dimension of thinking and how, how we can look at our, all of our dualities that we've had for, for, for centuries that mankind has tried to delve into, all of the paradoxes we've, we've tried to delve into and figure out, all of the, the catch, so-called catch-22s that we, we try and figure out, the mechanical man is a, a new new paradigm that I, I I'm confident will help us move forward into the artificial intelligence era, into what what Ray Kurzweil calls the, the singularity when we do become cyborgs. And I think that's inevitable. Okay. I, I make a note of that, but we have to go deeper into that, that we are going to become cyborgs in your view and um, how that will work with the spiritual development of, of man here. This is a very rare episode of, of the show here because we speak about things and fields that we have rarely touched. And I believe uh, your editors in traditions have done a bit the same. They have opened a new gate to, 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 to a field that was also new to them. At least that's what I, I understand when I read that book. Um, and there is a reason to that because it's a question that I think, especially 
I say us occultists because me and my audience are mainly working in that field. We need to really have a deep look at. Um, uh, it has been, in my opinion, either been completely neglected because we got stuck with all the old stuff or it has been in a almost exaggerated way tried to be integrated into into the occult world of today but without thinking before you do it i mean i'm be a bit mean when i say that but that's my impression right so your book gives me an approach to to open new fields there and did, was that also the intention that you had behind that book or do you see that happen because um, now by the reactions you get? Oh, the, the reactions I get are that people are emailing me from all over telling me that you've written a very, very, very important book. Mm -hmm. And they, they don't really know how to <laughs> verbalize why it's an important book, but they know that it's a, a, an extremely important book uh, on, on human consciousness. And not only, not only looking at American consciousness, but looking at the evolution of, of human consciousness itself and how, how it will uh, progress into the future. And, and that's exactly the point I was making before. It's not a book about America for me, right? Um, uh, right. One should not get um, put off, to put it to the extreme, because of that, if you're not American, say, well, I'm interested in that. It's for the Americans. No, it's for humankind. And it is especially for people who are interested in, in the spiritual worlds and its development, right? Right. And Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, I, I was done. Go ahead. You, you go ahead. Um, well, I, I, I wanted people to know that, uh, you know, why, why I chose the American per perspective is, is because I'm an American. And it, it's really a, as simple as that. And, you know, we talk about Nathaniel Hawthorne in the very beginning, talking about the, the value of, of the author right? There's always going to be that subjectivity. So how about lay it all out, all out on the line and, and tell people in the, the beginning, look, I'm going to look at this as an American because I am one and I'm, I'm a proud one and a patriot. But in the end, I'm finding things that can apply to every nationality and every religion. Of course. And you, you have to live it and express it through your personal experience, which of course is that of an American, but that doesn't mean that what comes out of the experience is not universal. Correct. Perfect. Perfectly said. Now, um, before we go a bit deeper into that, I had to explain the mechanical man. Now you use as an opposite the terms, the spiritual man. Um, sounds in the first place a bit easier to understand for maybe us here listening to this podcast. But uh, when you think about it, I think it would be good if you just as you explained the mechanical man, uh, you also explained to us what's your view on the spiritual man. What is the spiritual man? It means that you have to be 51% real person to 49% robot. Okay, it, 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 it means that 
you have to understand the word agape to an extent that you can see the divine in every human being. And, and like I make the point in, in my book when I talk about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I, I talk about Bobby Kennedy, who were big figures here in America in the mm-hmm. 1960s. And they, they were, of course, assassinated. Uh, and if you read their speeches, they're talking about the exact same thing of the mechanical man, what we're turning into mechanically and what we really want to be on the other hand is the, the spiritual man that can find love in every individual. And I, I even go into the, and they even go into the fact that that love is an energy that can be harnessed no different than steam, electricity and atomic energy. And, you know, you never hear people talking about love being harnessed as an as an energy. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You never hear that. But but that that is what will bring out the divine nature. And I think people are bringing it out. I think people are waking up and they're recognizing that they have uh, the God within. They have a divine nature within that. They have an individual consciousness that is never going to go out of play. Never for eternity. It's always going to be there. And also the collective consciousness or, or God or you know, Emerson and the, the oversoul will be there as well. And it, if that sounds like a contradiction, it's not. It's a beautiful paradox. If you lean into it, if you really lean into it. It's it's what the hermetic world calls. It's not a paradox, but it's 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 um, it's the law of synchronicity in a way that what is above is beyond, right? Is 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 down here? It's also above. It's hard for me to say that in in English because I always use those terms in 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 German, of course. But um, um, so this is not an opposite. It is part of the same thing. Would you, right. would you see it like that? Correct. What, what is within is without. Right. What is outside is within. Exactly. Uh, for, for the spiritual man will, will base everything, or not everything, but, you know, uh, I'm using hyperbole here, but the, the spiritual man will really center on the conversations that he or she is having in her, her or his head. Right. And they this is pure idealism. They will recognize that the conversations that they they have in their head, number one, are very important Mm -hmm. that that, that it's it was an evolutionary leap at some point in our history where we could actually have have conversations in our head with our our own individual psyches. Right. Yeah. And so The mechanical man, on the other hand, will ignore everything that is being said to himself or the conversations in his head and look at the outside world and 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 take the cause and effect, look at cause and effect and allow cause and effect to be their idol. Okay, let's take our usual break here and now and We are going to hear some more music by Frater F, our Swedish friend. And uh, as I told you, we will go, we are going to hear three tracks now, but three in a row. And those three tracks are um, rather short tracks, uh, 
about two, not even two minutes each. And um, so uh, it's going to be about six minutes of music you're going to hear. And those are three singles he published in 2021. So it's really new music. Um, as opposed to the other tracks here today, they are from older um, publications. So three single tracks uh, published in the year 2021. And the order of them, the first is called Fading, after which we hear Wither. And the third is called Perish. So it's a kind of, I would say, evolution in those, niece, in those names, at least. And... Um, I hope you're going to enjoy this. You know that after the three tracks, we are going to return directly to Luke Lafitte and continue to have that fascinating talk on machine intelligence. I must say it's a subject uh, that's completely new to me and um, I find fascinating. And uh, lately there has been a number of things and publications and ideas that have come around and are going in that direction. So I, I'd like to do a bit more on that i hope you like the idea i'm not saying i'm i'm always understanding everything or even in favor of everything that's been said there um what should happen with artificial intelligence etc but i think us occultists we have to have a look on that but anyway i'm chatting again so we are going to have those three tracks then we return to luke lafitte and after Luke Lafitte's interviews part second, um, we're going to hear a last piece by Father F here today. It's called Thrice, and it's from a single track that he recorded back in 2018. So now, Fading, Wither and Perish, then the interview with Luke Lafitte, and then thrice, all musical tracks by Frater F. And of course, after thrice, I'll be back with the announcement of our next episode. Enjoy.
speak about that, um, what comes to my mind is a terminology that is often used in classical occultism, um, the lower and the higher self, right? I, I'm sure you are aware of those terms. Um, how do those terms, I mean, difficult to say probably because even within the occult community, those terms don't have a clear definition all the time, but we, we basically know what, what they mean. Um, do you, can you compare the lower and the higher self partly or maybe even entirely with the spiritual man and the mechanical man, or is that, is that completely out of, of the range? Oh, no, I, I, I go into complete detail about it in my book. Um, the, the lower man and the higher man, you're perfectly right. And I, I, I talk about how, how the, the lower self will, will, will just take everything as is, right? We'll, mm -hmm. we'll take cause and effect as is. We'll, we'll look upon the material universe as this is all we have. We'll be afraid to look at eternity. Um, we'll be afraid to look at death. Um, we'll be afraid to look at, at this idea of, of service toward others, the contradiction of serving other people in order for happiness to come your way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's the, the lower self is our, our animal passionate self uh, where, where we think that we're running out of time mm -hmm. and we think that we're going to die one day and that's going to be it. Whereas the higher self is there to tell you, Oh, there's so much freaking more than, than you think. There's so much more out there than you think. And, and you're going to, you're either going to have to be repeating this forever and ever until you realize there's more out there than you think or you're going to become the higher self here on earth and you're going to feel totally different. So, and, and that's what the book did to me in the very end. I mean, I don't like to really get into the details about what the book did to myself and, and, and my life. I like for, you know, the, the inventors and the theorists of machine intelligence and artificial intelligence to, to tell their story about, what looking at artificial intelligence did for them and mm -hmm. that kind of parlays and what it did for me at the end of the book. Yeah. But, uh, I, I didn't give away too much. <laughs> no, no, I don't think you do. No, no. Um, honestly, the book is, well, it's something like 500, almost 450 pages. And, um, it, it, it's hard work to read it sometimes, to be honest, right? Uh, I mean, I mean this positively, right? And I think my people out there, they, they A, know that and B, they are a bit all of the same. We don't like the easygoing read so much. It's, but you have to think when you read that book or, and you have to often put it away for an hour uh, before you continue. I, at least that's happened to me. And I think that's a, it's a positive sign. Um, but Coming back to the, to the lower and to higher self, um, before I ask you the next question regarding this, you mentioned the divine just before and the approach to the divine that you have and that you think is important for the spiritual man. Now, divine is one of those words 
that's seen in so many different ways, right? It's already, you don't say God, you say the divine. Um, so what is your personal definition in respect to what you say in the book uh, of the divine? I don't talk about your personal belief. I talk about what is the divine as such for you? Well, it's more than, than just the word, the divine, it's the divine or the cosmic consciousness that you enter into. And, and what that means is that you break down fear consciousness. You're no, you're no longer afraid of, of really anything. Mm -hmm. um, you're no longer afraid of death. It's really what the, what the mystery schools did with their initiations. You're, you're, you're no longer afraid of death whatsoever. You're, for years, I suffered with a pyrophobia, which is a phobia about eternity and infinite numbers. And it, it plagued me until I finished the book. It really did. It, 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 it affected my life. It, I went into great periods of depression. And uh, so you have, when you're talking about divinity and you're talking about divine consciousness, you're talking about really doing the hard work of looking at all of your flaws all the time and doing the individuation. If you know what the, the if your audience knows Carl Jung and the individuation process, which I'm sure they do, then they know what I'm talking about, that it's a hard job to do to yourself and you have to do it every day. You have to do it every day and you have to check on yourself every day. And you have to have these conversations in your head about positivity every day. And you have to tell yourself in the end that you're it, that you're it, that you're going to be born alone and you're going to die alone. And you may end up in a white room with nobody, no other human contact. Mm. Right. Can you handle that? Yeah. Yeah. Can you handle that not only for a couple years, but can you handle that for eternity? Do people actually know what what the eternal means? Can that that concept needs to come back in to the popular imagination, and that that that's why I I really I really want people to know that the book is about reclaiming the imagination. It's reclaiming the human imagination and controlling it and controlling it for good. Mm -hmm. And when I say for good, I'm not talking about the temporal good. I'm talking about for the good of mankind. Is it integrating the technical evolution into the evolution of mankind as a whole? in a way that leaves the spirit enough room to stay at its 51%? You got it. You mm -hmm. got it. You got it. And without, without that knowledge, we wouldn't know, right? Right. And so we, so that, that, that's why I think the book is so important right now, because we have to know that the, the, the machine, the mechanical man right now is telling us that we are very important that human beings are, are the most important. We, we are, as far as we know, until the aliens come down, right? As far as we know, we are the most important aware beings in the known universe. Mm -hmm. 
and our creations, our inventions from whether they were machines that were, were fake with the uh, automated chess player that I we, talk about. Let, let's talk player. about that in a minute, because that's a that's a I found that a very interesting part. Yes. Yeah, whether, whether it's a, a, a delusion or an outright fake, at least that gets something going in the brain. Mm. It, it lights an idea of, okay, am I like that? Am I, am, am I just pushing buttons and, and hitting levers? Am I just going by a program that was embedded in me or am I much more? Am I a God creating my reality around me? And I, I think the evidence that I present is pretty clear that it's the latter. Hmm. You, you are a God creating the reality around you. And if you're creating a crummy reality around you, then you need to change the, the, the talking in your head. You need to change what you're telling yourself. And that's why this book that we are talking about here uh, is a book on magic. Right. Because right. it's about creating the science and art to take a famous citation, which I don't 100% agree with, but still it's one of the famous ones. The science and art of creating uh, a reality by will, right? Right, right. Right. And, 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 and I mean, that's the importance for, for, I think your audience to take away from this entire conversation is that what you do on, on, on your, your podcast every time is you're imbuing people with more creative power mm -hmm. and you're, you're uh, enlarging their imaginative capacity. And that's the most important thing we can do for each other. Rudolph, definitely the most important thing you can do. And that's what you do with the book. You talked about knowing oneself. Of course, that's also one of the famous almost catchphrases. And your chapter four is called like that, knowing thyself. But you say that in the subtitle, it becomes clear immediately and it becomes much clearer when you read the whole chapter that knowing thyself is already in itself the initiation. Uh, right. so, so it's right. not to know yourself to become an initiate later on when you know yourself, but it's the fact of starting to try to know yourself that is the initiation. Would you agree? Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. We're, we're not here for a rehearsal, mm. right? right? We're not rehearsing anything. Yeah. Everything is happening right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if you're working on yourself right now and you're doing the individuation right now, it's ha things are happening around you. Mm -hmm. Synchronicities will come later. Yeah. The signs will come later, of course, but they will come. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, I have to go back to that because you mentioned it just now and it was on my absolute list of questions I have to ask because uh, I find it a fascinating entrance in your book when you talk about that chess machine, which in fact was not really even a machine. It was a mechanical apparatus, so to speak, handled by someone sitting underneath it, uh, right. which made people believe that it was like a, a robot playing chess against a human being, right? Um, but that that machine, well, let's call it a machine for the moment, um, in a way by what it made 
people think that was happening, namely there was a robot playing chess, um, created a whole fuss and created a whole, well, how would you name it? Created a, a movement, uh, well, an idea, uh, a new spirit for that. Um, why did that happen? What what happened there? What made it so strong, that statement, even though it was completely fake? What it did and, and what any any type of inventions like that do, even, even if they're fakes, right? Even if they're frogs, mm. what they do is that they enlarge the capacity of the imaginal realm. Mm. They enlarge the capacity for people to think, well, how is it real? And then they, they, they begin to, to imagine how it might be real, right? And mm -hmm. like I say in the book, Europeans thought it was real. Yep. Now, Americans, on the other hand, they said, well, Edgar Allan Poe and the Walker brothers, they come up and they say, we know this is a fraud and a fake, um, but, but we're going to create another one of it. That's how, how pragmatic Americans are, right? Uh, at the time, I'm not saying that that, yeah. <laughs> that, that Europeans would believe it today. Um, yeah, but the Walker brothers created a replica of it within a, a couple of days because they knew that there was a great chess player that was, you know, four feet, three inches tall underneath moving it with magnets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and, and winning every game. And then we go forward to to Deep Blue, right? The computer Deep Blue um, and Gary Kasparov. Yes. And, and even and and how important the game of chess has been to artificial intelligence and to human consciousness itself, to, to looking at, at as machines wake up to the idea that they are mechanical men, we get to wake up to the idea that we are not mechanical men anymore, that we are spiritual men and women. And still the Trekkies play three-dimensional chess. The Star Trek right. fans, they love that. Isn't, isn't, it, isn't it amazing, the yeah. connections? Absolutely. But of course, there is also Enochian chess. You, I don't know if you're aware of that, but um, Enochian chess, a very complicated form of chess play um, out of the magical realm that has been developed uh, in, the, in a and is used by 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 some um, practitioners in a very intense way so as you say the, the play of the game of chess is something uh, very important to that development but you also used a person we mentioned him already twice i believe in this in this interview um who of course is very dear to the world of occultism not because he was himself involved, but somehow his his way of seeing the world is Nikola Tesla, and um, and of also the way that he was is supposed to. I, I I have read books, but I'm not. I don't know how much of it is really true or not. But he's supposed to have been handled badly by establishment, represented by Edison, of course, and. And so there is that mystery that surrounds him. And you use him quite extensively in your book, in the whole chapter. So why and what what did fascinate you in, in Tesla that you used him as an example of what you want to say here? 
Well, he definitely would have been a dead white zombie at a malcontent. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. definitely. <laughs> That's for sure. But, but you know, he, uh, he invented everything that, that we use today for remote-controlled robotics and uh, our garage door opener to, to uh, every wireless telegraphy. I mean, I, I know Mar- Marconi got a lot of the credit for it and Edison got a lot of the credit for it. And Tesla didn't get any of the credit for it and he didn't care. Anyway, he did. He yeah, 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 yeah. He didn't care that he didn't get any of the credit for it because he knew that what he, the verboten that he was discovering, was way more important than money. Mm. The ideas that he was delving into and that were coming to him, and remember, these ideas would come to him with light flashes would yeah. come on in his head, right? Mm. And, and that's a pattern between a lot of these mechanical men, theorists and inventors, they talk about this light coming to them and giving them this, this knowledge and information about the machine world. Mm -hmm. And then they go about and they build it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so his, his tele autonomous, you know, the boat, the autonomous boat uh, that, that, that he, uh, that he created of course, at the the uh, the exhibition fair in New York and Chicago, they laughed at it. They didn't think that it, w- it would it would do anything. And then, yet the the American military industrial complex later incorporated all of his patents into what is today. Uh, Deadly drones. Yeah, definitely, definitely, quite an amazing personality. But we now have to move on to a subject that intrigues all of us, I believe, um, which is transhumanism and posthumanism, and which is, of course, an important question that opens in your book, but not only there. And maybe I'm wrong, but in within the world of occultism today, I believe also here we have a, a big split between maybe a majority of practitioners who would um, say, no, this is not going to happen and it cannot happen because um, in a way that's contrary to all that we have experienced, not only learned, but experienced when we do magic, for example. Um, And there is also another group which is very much pushing and advancing that in the occultist world. I would like to hear from you, what is your take now in regards to what we are discussing here to, to the mechanical man and the spiritual man, especially, especially what is transhumanism going to mean for us? Is it going to be transhumanism or posthumanism or both? Or um, maybe we should even explain those two terms and distinguish between those terms for a minute. And then where does the spiritual world, in your point of view, lead us to. Right. When we're talking about transhumanism, we're talking about basically turning into to cyborgs, right? Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about incorporating technology to to advance our, our the, the physical qualities or mental qualities that we want 
to advance and make better. I find it interesting the way you put it here. You said you are trying to put physical development, so machine development, to extend the physical and mental capabilities. It's often also seen the other way around that the mental capacity is used to steer uh, a machine uh, and in, in being integrated into that machine. It's funny you say it that way. I just wanted to point it out because I, I think it's a much healthier way the way you put it. Well, yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. I, I, I think that um, when, when you're looking at cybernetics, you're looking at, at three major things. And cybernetics, for people that don't know, is the interactions between machines and humans. Okay, Norbert Wiener coined the term back in the late 40s, early 50s. So, so you're, you're taking ideas of communication and control and information, and you're wondering what are, what are these three pillars going to look like when we, when we reach the level of incorporating machines into our, our own body? I mean, right now, Elon Musk has a, an invention that can be implanted into our brain, Neuralink, you can look it up, that can be implanted into our, our brain that can do a number of things for us mentally and physically. Um, how does that, that change us? And does it change? It changes us, in my opinion, for the better if the intention is for the better. Mm-hmm. And, and that goes back to the American authors that I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Herman Melville, in the very beginning of the American Renaissance, the great liter- literary writers of that age, the transcendentalists that, that talked about it. And, uh, you know, they went into great detail in talking about how we can, we can maintain our humanity and our, our, our divinity. And we can also use technology in such a way that we can enter into another realm of thought, another realm, realm of, of collectivism, another realm of, of even making the individual, giving the individual even more freedom than he or she had before. And I think that's what we want where we want to go. But back to the, the, the transhumanism aspect of it, we get into Philip K. Dick. We have to get into Philip K. Dick. And uh, Philip K. Dick is an American science fiction writer. And everyone around the world knows of, of his books that have been turned into movies, right? You know of Blade Runner, you know of Total Recall, you know of Minority Report, many, many, many more. But he's the, the greatest science fiction writer, other than Isaac Asimov, that I, I look at of, of, I think, all time. I mean, you, you can argue Arthur C. Clarke and, uh, and Robert Heinlein and a few others. But Philip K. Dick concluded that, that we are going to turn into, inevitably, cyborgs one day. Because we, it's in our evolutionary DNA to, to make ourselves more equipped and to, to make these garments that we're wearing. And when I say a garment, I mean the physical body mm-hmm. to make these garments more conducive to being happy, 
to being able to live a fruitful life, to being able to uh, uh, live a peak experience. And so he concluded in, in his book, and it's a prophetic book. I invite anyone in the, the occult and esoteric tradition to read his book, Valis. Yeah. He wrote it yeah. a, a few years before he died. Yeah. And my gosh, he and, and also read, and I know uh, it's a difficult read. It's a thousand page read, his, the exegesis of Philip K. Dick. It's all of his journal notes put together. Yeah. It's incredible. And the conclusion that he came to is that, yeah, we are it. We, we, we are the gods of the universe. There is definitely no other. We are it. We have forgotten. We have amnesia. And I even start the book out, if you remember, mm -hmm. the, the quote that I, I begin the book with is from Philip K. Dick. And I'll, I'll, I'll read it to the, mm -hmm. to the listeners. And the quote is, we are all sleeping avatars of God, comma, with amnesia. Yes. With amnesia. And, and, and what, what, can wake up, what can wake us up? Well, I think Rudolph is waking a lot of people up, and I think Luke Lafitte is now waking a lot of people up. And I think we have to keep on pushing it. We have to keep on pushing it and we, we have to keep on telling people that they, there is a divinity within that is so powerful. You know, in, in this country, in, in America, we hear about our, our men, of, uh, men and women of service. You know, there, there's something called 20 suicides a day mm. that, that, that we hear about. Tw 20 of them killing themselves every day, Amazing. you know, coming back, coming back from foreign wars. Mm. And, uh, you know, people just go on doing their, their daily job, not even really thinking about it. Not, not even, not even recognizing how horrendous it is that people are serving your country and they come back here and they take their life. Absolutely, absolutely. But how do you assure when you create cyborgs and you say it's? I don't even want to use the term inevitable because that has a negative um, connotation, and you don't mean it negatively. So, um, how do you assure that? the cyborg stays a spiritual man. You, well, you, you, you answered your own question right there. You, 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 you have to have the intention. And if you look at the intention of, of these inventors, you have to have the intention of, of agape. And I finished the book off with the word agape. Yes. Because it's, it's the most important aspect right now that we're looking at, whether it be in, in occult, esoteric studies, going back to, you know, the uh, Rosicrucians and things of that nature. The term agape has to be looked at and experienced in a totally new way. It's just not a cliche anymore. It's just not a word defined as unconditional love to each other or yourself. It has to be experienced by you individuating and loving yourself to the point, to the point. And it can be done. And remember, at the very end of the book, I give away how it can be done. Yes. yes. We, won't give, it can be. we won't give it away here. We won't give it away here. But I, I give away how it can be done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when it is done, you can create your own heaven here on Earth. Mm. 
You can do it. You, I've done it. I've done it. So would you say that your book, Machine Intelligence, is maybe not a how-to book, but a book showing the paths for occultists, for workers in the field of Western esoteric, um, showing the path to a possible future? Oh, no, it, it is a guidebook. A guidebook, yes. It, it, yeah, yeah. It, 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 that's exactly what it is. It, mm -hmm. it, it, from, I wanted to call it the, the, the uh, cyborg Bible. Okay. Yeah. If you notice, I mentioned before the, 19, the 1960s when we had HAL and 2001 Space Odyssey come out and Dune in the 1970s, there was a radical shift in how the mechanical man was communicating to us. Absolutely. I, I find it funny when you point out that HAL uh, is much more uh, talking much more about his bad feelings than the human beings in the film talk about their bad feelings. So I find that very funny. Very cool. And that was a big transition mm. in, in the consciousness of people. Mm. And, uh, and it, it, it shows us that, that we, we have changed, that, that, that there's both an Old Testament and a New Testament to the mechanical man. Mm. That, that the, the Old Testament of the mechanical man prior to the 1960s was telling us we're, we're here to serve and obey. Gort, right? Mm. The robot Robbie from Forbidden Planet and Gort from When the Earth Stood Still, the cinematic huge productions and very popular. And yet the, these robots and androids are telling us, well, you're, we're only here to serve. We're not here to do anything more than that. We're here to protect. We're here to, in fact, we're here to, uh, to self-destruct if anything uh, complicated occurs in our life, yeah. right? Yeah. If there's a catch-22 that we can't figure out, well, we're here to self-destruct. Mm. If, if we can't figure out the laws of robotics uh, promulgated by Isaac Asimov in his great books, right? Then if, they, if the laws of robotics contradict each other, we blow up. <laughs> And I, I take that from the, the steam man of the prairies all the way to, to uh, Robbie the Robot. And, Absolutely. And, and, Hal. and then after Hal, or during the period of the 1960s, and what a great synchronicity, not great, what a sad synchronicity you have when um, 2001 Space Odyssey comes out with Hal, and then you have the death of Dr. King and Bobby Kennedy. And then that changes everything. After that, machines begin to tell us, okay, maybe we were wrong. You have the power. And you have to have that divine power and recognize that divine power within yourself. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, it's like a bit... Uh, When you're saying that, uh, it reminds me, of course, of Judy Garland and Somewhere Over the Rainbow and her and, and her um, her guys who go to that country, and also you have that tin the tin man who is always blaming himself, like Robert the Robot. You know, it's 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 fun. It's, it's absolutely the same situation there. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, yeah. 
Just exactly right. The, the, the Tin Man. And, and it, you know, the entire story of, of The Wizard of Oz mm-hmm. is that you have this great interplay between the implicate and the explicate. Absolutely. You have this great interplay between the fictive and the real. Yeah. And, and by looking at those polarities that I look at in the book, you know, the, the fictive and the real, I am, I am telling people that the fictive is as important as the real. And it, it may be more important to you. Because it may it may elicit feelings and visions that the real could never give you. True. Maybe we can close the ring of this interview by going back to the arts and in that case, the theater world. Because when you talk about intention and about creativity, because that's the creativity that is demanded to to make sure that the spiritual man stays at his 51% within the cyborg. Um, maybe the, the fact of experiencing a theater play that has been created for that intention um, is exactly a metaphor at least, or maybe even an example for how real life should turn out. It, it, you're right. It's, it has to be an example for for how real life should turn out. Yeah, and, and it, it it has to it has to give people faith and hope. I mean, it, it, it has to give people without faith. I'm a true believer after after doing this 15 year study, Rudolph, that that we're headed in the right direction. Mm. That, that the Western world, anyway, is headed in the right direction with, with their ideals and their values and how they view artificial intelligence and how they, they view and how we define, how the occult, the esoteric of the West defines words like we've been defining today. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure of it. I'm, and, and I'm very skeptical as a lawyer, right? That's the other half of me. I'm a big skeptic about everything, but man, oh man, I, it, it was proved to me beyond a reasonable doubt what I found in, in looking at machine intelligence and artificial intelligence and the inventors and the theorists behind it and how they lived and how it affected them and how it reflected upon their life that we are headed in the right direction. And it, I, I, and it, it, it's one, it's one of, 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 cha- of evolving an epic evolution of, of, of consciousness on a scale that we, we won't even recognize our, our, ourself in, in 10 years from now. Right. It, it would be like the, the Romans going up to Paul after he had his, his vision, after Saul became Paul and Paul had his vision in, in Damascus. It would be like a Roman soldier talking to him after that. The two totally different consciousnesses at that time. Mm, true. Totally different. True. They could not understand each other at all, at yeah. all, yeah. because of the experience by one man that had, that had it. Fascinating. Well, I think sounded like a perfect final word, Luke. Um, thank you for, well, 
68 minutes in your company and it was great to, to talk here. Um, good luck for all your projects. Any project that we should know about in the near future that uh, maybe a book, another book coming up or not yet or... Uh, after 15 years, I'm, I'm, and, and, you know, we didn't really get into the Chronicles of a Curious Mind, but, yeah. but the Chronicles of a Curious Mind kind of helped me, uh, helped me with the, the machine and intelligence and the imaginal realm. Totally um, did, yeah. But, but, but yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm back to trial. I'm done, done writing for a while. I'm sure, uh, wherever I'm called, whatever direction I'm called in, I'll, I'll, I'll go too, and I'll, I'll pick up what, whatever um, area I'm, I'm called to and try and figure out something to help humanity progress and love each other a little bit more. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And, um, well, good luck with all that. And um, it was lovely to speak to you. Thank you for your time and take care. Rudolph, I, I greatly appreciate you. Um, uh, Europe and Austria, Vienna, you're very lucky to have the great, brilliant Rudolf. Thank you. Thank you.
Rice by Frater F. And uh, lovely, lovely type of music. I really like that. And I hope you enjoyed just as well. And I hope you enjoyed that interview with Luke. Luke Lafitte on the shield intelligence and the imaginal realm. Spiritual freedom and what we make of it. Um, quite a large subject and... I tell you, if you go through that book, it's about 400 pages. It's work, it's work, but it's really worth it because um, um, it's it's something that we should all um, consider and especially us occultists should consider. So thank you, Luke. Thank you for that, for your work and for our talk here today. It was a lot of fun. That's the end of episode four. And well, we are already up announcing episode five of this new season it's amazing how time flies so next week who is going to be our guest we're going to be a bit more classical again next week this week with this experience on machine intelligence next week we're going to talk about agrippa yes henry cornelius agrippa and his three books of occult philosophy and i'm sure you've heard about the fact that this, these three books, this huge work has been finally retranslated into English. A new tra English translation has been published before Christmas. Three big, nice, beautiful volumes. Uh, and Eric Perdue has taken on the enormous talk. I think he worked for 11 years to do these translations. And um, Eric Perdue is, of course, not only a translator, well, who says only, Translators are great guys, but he's not just a translator. He is an occultist and a very knowledgeable one himself. And we talk about that work, about Agrippa, about his translation, and about all matters occult as he sees them. Um, so looking forward to have you back next week. And I hope that the world is behaving in the meantime, that some people are even behaving better than they actually behave at the moment. And um, I hope to have you all back here safe and healthy uh, next week, next Sunday. And for the moment, I can only say, take care, stay tuned, hear you soon.